Well, welcome to iDeveloper Live, episode 48. Oh, and uh, that's enough of that theme music there. We'll just cut that out of the way. Uh, Mr. John Fox, you with me again today? I am. And I note that we've now uh, just barely, but have surpassed your age, haven't we? In episode <laughs> You, only barely. Actually, we did that a few hours. 45 yesterday. There we are. Or as, as my daughter quite uh, um, proudly pointed out when she came into uh, my room this morning, hello, Daddy, you're halfway to 90. Oh. <laughs> well, it's kind enough for her to believe that you'll make it that long. I thought if I, if I, if I live to 90, then, um, yeah, that, that, that should be good. That should be good. Now, okay, well, it'd be good for me. I don't know if it's good for anybody else, of course. Oh, can you imagine if I'm doing this show at 90? <laughs> Hello, this is I Develop Alive, coming to you from the nursing home. <laughs> and Mike Lee, wheel Mike Lee in. <laughs> there we are, that's my future, my future set before me. Oh, we've got a couple of guests with us today, both from Denmark. Um, Nicholas Sars, how are you doing, Nicholas? Hey, Scotty, I'm doing well. <laughs> and, Thanks uh, for and this conference. Uh, oh, it's it my pleasure. Conference. And um, here I go. I'm just about to totally uh, obliterate a name, Karl Krukow. <laughs> Tell us yeah, how you say Kruko. your name. Krukow. Yeah, it's Krukow, actually. Kruko. At least that's the Danish pronunciation of oh, a Polish okay. name. So maybe you should ask someone Polish. That's <laughs> 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 Krukow. We'll ask somebody from a different country how to pronounce your own name. Okay, yeah. that sounds good. We're off to a yeah. good start here. Right, okay. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Carl. Yeah, I have a background in computer science. Uh, 2006, I graduated from university. Did some theoretical computer science uh, and then realized that there are maybe about four people in the world that ever read my thesis. And one of them was my mom. So I thought that maybe it was time to do something in the real world. So I've been joining a Danish company, software company called Trifork. I'm working there for about six years, doing you know different stuff, uh, consulting stuff, Java stuff, web stuff. And then uh, I switched to doing mobile development on the iOS platform for maybe two years ago. And did some uh, some apps from for some of the Danish uh, banks, some of the larger Danish banks, their home bank banking uh, apps. Um, I got some experience on the iOS platform, and then I got the opportunity of joining a company called Less Painful that I'll tell you a bit about today. Um, yeah, I guess I'll I'll wait now and then tell you about the company in in a moment. Okay, that sounds uh, that sounds good. And Nick, what about yourself? Hi. Um, well, I finished uni in 2003 and moved to Denmark thinking I want to study a bit more recorder playing and where I met my lovely wife. And uh, yeah, I uh, started writing Coco about two months after you, which is great because then I could follow your series. Uh, what was that? Um, Coco for the hard of hearing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Late night please, Coco. Please, anyway. please don't tell me that you've learned everything you know from me because that will just turn you into a disaster of a developer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've picked up bits and pieces in other places as well. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so, and I was, was at the first of this conference trying, looking for an iOS job, and well, SBR is being the center of the universe or center of the iOS universe. There are, I think, two iOS developers here, perhaps three. I haven't found number three yet. 
Uh, but it's a it's a great little town, and uh, I now work for Trifork full time, doing iOS development here in Esper, setting up shop here. So if there are other iOS developers in uh, uh, west of Jutland or south of Jutland listening to this, uh, well, speak up. <laughs> <laughs> They're only going to hear you if there's a sunspot. In the, the <laughs> <laughs> Most people out there saying, south of where? <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't even know your time, let alone what you're talking about. It's yeah, great. I think we need a quick geography lesson. You know, where where are you related to, let's say, Santa Claus? Let's start with there, <laughs> somewhere between Santa Claus and the old evil empire, right? Right, named after Santa Claus. Uh, well, uh, west coast of Denmark, about an hour north of Germany. Now, there we are. An hour north of an entire country is the only way that people can find you. <laughs> <laughs> but Hoss, like it's so you said West Coast. Does that mean is it's like is is it the more laid back part of Denmark? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'd, you, I'd you, get into so much trouble over here if I comment yeah. on that as Norwegian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Before we before we offend uh, <laughs> too many nations out there. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Well, everyone was sat here, and I think um, you know, there's everyone's on tender hooks because uh, as we're speaking now, WWDC tickets have been nothing happens to them. They're there, and it's like the whole sense on Twitter is 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 no. Everyone is frightened to even go to the toilet just in case. <laughs> at least you know people are sat on the toilet with their iPhones watching the website because they want to get tickets. What's our What's our estimate of when these uh, things eventually go on sale? Uh, how long do you think they're going to take to uh to uh, sell out? You know, John, what's your, what's your thought? Thirty minutes max. You reckon the website can cope with selling that many tickets in thirty minutes? Um. Yeah, why wouldn't they? I mean, I, I think that uh, Apple is, is these days pretty good at, at maintaining high transaction volumes. So literally, if you've popped out for a cup of coffee, if you've you know, if you're on a flight, if you're going to pick the kids up from school, you could miss out. I'd say you would be crowded. <laughs> You'd be crowded. Ah, I got that one. <laughs> That's new though. Ah, we we've looked up the old Polish meaning, and um, yes, don't say your name in too many countries. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. I mean, I mean that's um, you know, I mean that's that's great. Maybe shows that our community is vibrant in whatever else. But is it um, you know, is it healthy when the you know the premier event of, of, of development uh, for our community is literally in that short supply? Do you think? Well, I don't know. I think it. it by now, since there really are a number of, of, of conferences that are that can do what WWDC can't do, and that's provide actual community, I think it's I don't know. I mean, it, I think WWDC is 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 now more of kind of like a pilgrimage to Mecca. You do it once in your life if you're able, and if you do it additional times, that's great and wonderful. But I think that if you don't go to WWDC, the 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 world is not entirely going to end, is it? Yeah, yeah, but isn't I mean okay, uh, Moscone is west, isn't it? The Dub Dub's in. That's actually the smallest Moscone. Do you think they could just make Dub Dub bigger, go to ten thousand or whatever? Well, or they would that, be, and, would that and, just and be not a, what they're up to? Well, I've seen some other interesting suggestions. I mean, because they already have they have to go to overflow rooms when they have the the important, you know, certainly in the morning keynote and even some of the more popular um, presentations, but. I don't know. I, 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 you shouldn't, shouldn't be asking me because I'm, I'm jaded. You should ask our 14-year-old guests. <laughs> How important? I mean, because I, I, I'm taking neither of you have been. Is that correct? Yep. And so yep. where does it rank in, in importance in your life? I mean, you wake up, brush your teeth, then what's next on the line? 
Well, not WWDC. <laughs> <laughs> so there. No, yeah, I mean, it's not too important to me. I mean, uh, there are other ways of getting the information, and the only interesting aspect would be networking for me. Actually. Now, have you ever, have you ever been to sunny San Francisco, the real West Coast? No, I was going to go uh, last fall, but uh, it got cancelled, unfortunately. But that was a shame. All right, and Mr. Sars? Uh, well, I, I've been to San Francisco, and I'd love to go there. I'd love to go to Dub Dub. Uh, but again, uh, it's mostly about community, right? And uh, I just have this prejudice that uh, it's going to be not a mainly European thing. <laughs> and uh, and I think most of the community that I'm in touch with is uh, mostly over here in Europe. Uh, so th that's why I, uh, why I make sh make sure to go to more European conferences and events. Uh, but I'd love to go to Dub Dub. So if anyone has a ticket and uh, wants to send it, I'll come. I mean, it is a problem for us guys in Europe because. Um it's uh, international flights, you know, if we're getting six weeks notice of Dub Dub or eight weeks notice of Dub Dub, I mean, let's assume it's going to be in June. Um, we're now sort of, you know, the dates that people are suggesting, we're now 10 weeks away. The shorter that gets, the harder it's going to be to get a decent price flight. So it's not just, can you get mm. a ticket? It's then can you, mm. you know, if I go out and buy that ticket, am I then going to be able to get a flight? And, and bring the whole thing together when you're from Europe is, is even more complicated. I guess in the US you get your ticket and then, you know, flights... Flights are going between these places all the time, and you can just do them short notice because it's internal. So um, you know, that last minute ness, it, it doesn't really um, make it. It makes it less favourable for us guys from Europe, which I think you know it's a worldwide developer conference. Apple should be making it you know beneficial for the worldwide community, and and um, it may be thinking a little bit about us guys who can't just get a flight in two seconds flat. But anyway, there we are. It won't really change. Um, I guess it's been going three or four years now and selling out, and if they wanted to make it bigger, they could have done that by now. So, um, uh, okay, some people on the chat room or someone's suggesting there should there be a, an East, you know, two dub dubs, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. Um, you know, what's the thoughts on that? My personal thought on that is no, just make the current one bigger. Um, but, mm. um, uh, you know, any, any other, anyone else have any thoughts on that? Actually, uh, last year didn't they have uh, like a setup in London where people could come together and watch the keynote? I mean, if they did like a parallel conferences uh, us like in in Europe, in Asia, and uh, I mean that would that would be great because you'd actually get the networking benefits uh, of your of your local network uh, at the same time as you'd get the contents. That's a good Hopefully. idea. I mean, that's yeah. something that the, I mean, the TED conference has something similar. I mean, kind of a similar issue. They they really can't expand it beyond what they already did. They did make their big leap when they went from from Monterey, very cozy, to, to Long Beach, and they didn't really increase the number of people who come. It just meant that there was enough space in in the actual you know main auditorium. But what they've been doing for a while now is they they do have these kind of live stream parties, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Apple does the same thing. And I think you know with the with the kind of the the developer tours that they've done, it helps kind of get the, the, the other irreplaceable aspect of, of, of the conference, that's the ability to sit with actual Apple engineers. I mean, I, you know, productivity must come to a screeching halt, certainly for that week, and if not, you know, a, a week or, or, or more beforehand when all the engineering team is getting their, their keynote stack in order and, and preparing for that. And there's only so much they can do for that. So, um, and I think the general consensus is, you know, what would you prefer Apple engineers to be working on? You know, fixing bugs, 
redoing radar on their in their spare time on the weekend or going around and, and touring around and, and uh, doing labs. That's a good point. Apple, you stay doing just one. We want your engineers working on stuff. <laughs> At least 80 to 100 hours a week minimum. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but make sure the engineers I want are in the labs when I want them. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's all I ask. Okay, I think that's enough dub-dub talk, because obviously by the time... Uh, this week, uh, Dave's on vacation, so I'm going to edit the show myself this week. It's back to the good old days, and you know, get my tape splicer out and sort of put it all together afterwards. Um, and so by the time this show comes out, dub-dub will probably be over, so... <laughs> <laughs> that was a totally irrelevant conversation to anybody who isn't in the chat room right now and that's virtually nobody because they're all there refreshing the dub dub page <laughs> trying to see when it goes from 2011 to 2012 right okay let's let's um john you you were telling us just uh before we went on air that you'd had some some success this week you were feeling like you'd um you know you'd you'd had a moment of glory uh in looking at your application it, I did. So, you know, I've been working as a consultant a couple of days a week for a company that does, you know, records metadata about television and movies, things like actors and, and where it was shot and what being portrayed and, and what's going on in the movie. And so it's kind of a, it's a digital asset management problem and, and in some ways, a, you know, a digital storytelling problem. So it's something I'm quite familiar with. And I had had built an application which was one of the very first things I did and it was mostly just kind of a tester application. I actually started out making it a cappuccino app to begin with and, and essentially what it did is it took some of this, this data about actors and, and portrayals and products and, and would do Google image searches so that you could kind of visualize what's going on in the movie or, or kind of discover some links. And I worked on it for a little bit. It was, it was kind of a, a skunk works project because mostly what I'd been working on was, was iOS development. Um, just to help build you know, a code base with which they could build second screen applications. And it, it had been shown a couple times to, to some clients, and, and some people thought, yeah, it's nice. But you know, one client in particular said, uh, you know, well, uh, you know, we don't have Macs in this department, which is kind of surprising because in, in this type of creative field, most people do, but this was, I guess, some management types. And then you know, kind of they started work on, on, a, on a web client, which was somewhat doing the same thing. And then about, oh, I don't know, um, about 40, 45 days ago, they showed it again to a new client who said, yes, you know, we really like this because the one thing you can do on the desktop is that you can take the, the video that, that's, that's you know, being mentioned and you can scrub through it in real time. And that makes all the difference in the world. If you're trying to kind of discover a moment in time in video that's interesting, you know, you really need to be able to, to work with the video. And so all of a sudden, almost overnight, this thing that had been somewhat forgotten had been becoming you know, quite important to the company. So I had to, to, to add some, some critical new features and try and make it presentable because there's, there's, you know, there's a big difference between an app that you write just mostly for yourself to look at data and one that you want to unleash on human beings. And so that was one of my kind of pet projects that I had uh, coming to NS Conference. And I, I have to say that, that just even about 10, 15 minutes in showing and talking about it in the in the lab was wildly wildly helpful, and I was able to put those learnings into into practice. And actually, I'm quite proud of, of this app, which I now you know is gone to becoming really a, an official project that the company's putting a, quite a bit of effort behind. And it, the first customers had a look at it with some training this past week, and apparently they they really liked it. So I was incredibly happy to to hear that. Um, and I do have to say that you I will. You have to, to be able to show your app 
kind of early and often to people who have not seen it before and you just have to shut up and observe and listen to what they have to say. I can't repeat that enough. That's good advice. That's cool. I think that's important. You know, we, this whole um, secrecy thing sometimes in whatever else, you know, we put so much work into something that if we'd just shown a group of people six months earlier, maybe we'd have got it a lot better. So um, I think that's uh, worth trying at least for people, isn't it, and see how it goes. Well, one, one more thing, and then I'll, I'll stop talking about it, but this is one of the most important lessons I got from, from hearing Michael Johnson or Waves talk, the guy from Pixar who does the, the, the lunch talks at, at WWC for the last couple of years. And he, he had said that, you know, um, you, you can't be emotionally attached to something, because meaning that if, if you have an idea and you never show it to anybody, you never show it to anybody, you kind of keep refining it, refine it, and it seems perfect and good in your mind, then you show it to someone else and they, they kind of, take a dump all over it, it's hard for you to let go, even though it's completely wrong. And it's obviously wrong because you know, somebody who's not emotionally attached to it can see something that you just won't be able to see anymore. And, and it's, it's absolutely true. Excellent. Right. I think we're going to move on to our feature segment now. So we make sure we get plenty of time in it. Um, this is where I pretend to find the Apple loop on the soundtrack, and I'm going to pretend I'm going to play it, and I'm pressing the button now, and it says... <laughs> Feature segment. There we are. <laughs> it, it's no no expense spent on this show at all. Um, okay, uh, Nick. Um, at NS Conference, you did one of our fifteen minute blitz talks, uh, and um, you you did it um, on automated UI testing, and you were telling us about a framework you were using. So why don't you just give us an, an introduction um, to the subject, and then why don't you tell us why we need to listen to Carl about it? Right. Uh, so, uh, I mean, uh, on, uh, on the iPhone, uh, really what we're working with, and also on the iPad, what, really what we're working with is uh, the user interface. We're really working a lot with user interface. And uh, we've all been trying to do the unit testing and some of us succeeding, some of giving up, hopefully trying again and getting it working. Uh, but, uh, but I found that in all my projects, uh, there were so many little things that were changing uh, in, the, in the user interface logic and I really wanted this tested. And I'd had a shot with some of the libraries, even some of Apple's provided um, uh, automator stuff. Uh, but never really got it to work in, so, in something I'd like to use in my projects. Uh, and then I started working in Triforge. And people over there were using uh, this library that uh, that looked very complex. I mean, they were writing, uh, it, was set, it was set up with an accessibility inspector and um, there was some, uh, some natural language thing going there. I thought, I really have to look into this, but these guys are so smart, this will take me forever. Um, so, I, uh, so finally, I had the, had the courage to go up and ask Carl, um, how do I do this? And he showed me how easy it was. And I just thought, like, this is this is great. I mean, this uh, this is something I need to use for all my projects. This is something that easily integrates uh, with my build system. This is something that I get for basically no extra cost. Um, because uh, as you 
I had I was at Ennis Conference 09 where Martin Pilkington was talking about how we all need to make sure that uh, ex- uh, that uh, we have good accessibility in our applications. It basically comes down to filling out an accessibility label and uh, accessibility hints in uh, in our interface uh, builder, and um, and. Uh, and with with having done that, uh, I was basically getting UI testing for free. So I thought this is great. This is something everyone should use because it's so easy to work with. Um, yeah. So that's why I went to uh, why I, uh, pitched it as a blitz talk for, at MS conference. And yeah. So yeah, so happy that you did. yeah. So Carl, it, it sounds like um, you were his savior. You you have uh, made, <laughs> made made his life far less painful, and that he just loves you and will do everything for you that you ever ask. Yeah, that's pretty much true. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> so, so why, 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 why don't you convince the rest of us, and then you could be a very rich man? <laughs> oh, right, cool. No, actually, I'm very, very happy sitting here just listening to Nick uh, telling him about this because it's something that I've spent by now some quite some time on developing, and then you know, sitting down and having someone else than me be excited about it is that's just terrific. So I'm, I'm very happy that Nick wanted to uh, to do this presentation. Uh, because some it gives it gives more credibility when uh, when someone else is is pitching your thing right than than if I was supposed to say all the good things about it. So I'm very very happy, um, very very happy he, he did this. Uh, and yeah, I guess um, I mean I can go into the details uh, that uh, you know the stuff that Nick was talking about about natural language and uh, accessibility labels and and how it all works. But uh, I think. From a high level, that was a pretty good description by Nick. Excellent. Okay, so we're, um, we'll post loads of links to your blog and, and places on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've posted the link. We'll post a link to GitHub and GitHub where the code is. You know, we're talking about um, the Calabash. Am I pronouncing it right if I say Calabash? Calabash. Yeah, Calabash, Calabash framework. Calabash. Um, automated UI testing. Okay, um, you start wherever you think you need to start to introduce this to people and walk us through it. Walk us through a bit of the process, some of your your thinking behind that. Yeah. Um, you know, you tell sure. us you tell us what you want to tell us about it, and, and we'll take it from there. I think I'd like to start about start with telling a bit about the history of Calabash because um, it's actually a project that's recently been open source. I guess three weeks old by now, uh, but it's something that's been used uh, internally at this company I mentioned before called Less Painful, and that company uh, was founded by two guys from Trifork that I know quite well, um, and they were on this project doing Android development actually, and they were just uh, you know grinding out and coding, and then they needed to go through a big big. Uh, test matrix to prove to, uh, to to the customer that it worked on every possible Android device, on every possible Android uh, version, and on different languages and so on. And they just thought, no way, we cannot do this. Our fingers are going to burn before we get through this test matrix. So they gave it a shot and uh, and developed a system uh, that could automate all these tests on Android devices. And then actually ran for, I guess, about a year. Uh, and while that was happening, I was uh, doing iOS development for, uh, as I mentioned, some of the, the Danish banks, and uh, that was pretty cool. Um, and I started uh, just as Nick said, you know, we need to get automated UI testing as well. And I started looking around, and I found a found a project that's called Frank, which is actually a very very cool project that uh, Calabash is uh, Calabash iOS is inspired by. And I started looking at this and thought this could be something that's 
uh, that I could transform into being um, the iOS version of, of this less painful system. So I talked to, to the guy, Jonas and Nick there, and I said, I think I can do this for iOS. And they said, all right, that'd be really cool because some of our customers are doing projects for Android, they're doing projects for iOS, and they want to do automated testing. So uh, <laughs> I went away <laughs> for, for some months, and I coded, and I bumped my head into the wall, and I, you know, but for some reason, I just kept on going. And, um, and it turned out that I could do a proof of concept that we, can, we could implement the system, uh, uh, the corresponding system uh, for Android. I could implement that on iOS as well. But at this time, this was all, um, this was all closed source. Uh, it was a product we were selling, um, uh, less painful, and, and, um, and we didn't actually want to open source it at that point. But then um, we decided that our business model should be slightly different. We shouldn't be selling a project. We should be uh, open sourcing the software because we want people to write tests. We want people to test their apps. Uh, and we're going to change our business model a bit to do uh, a device cloud service where you can run your tests on, on devices. So we decided to open source it. And um, I've been working on it uh, for, I guess it's close to eight months now or something like this. Um, yeah, and it got out. That's it. I mean, when you say you were working on straight months, is this has this been a sort of your, your main project, or is it was it a sort of a side project where you were doing a bunch of other stuff? No, it, it was it was definitely it was a side project because I had a full time job, uh, so I guess I had more like two full time jobs doing this on the side and then uh, doing my regular job. Um, but I thought it was so interesting to work with and uh, fun stuff to do, and I thought the end result could be quite good, so I, I kept on going with it. Anyway, that was actually maybe a bit too much about the history of Calabash. So let's look at maybe uh, what it looks like now. So we just open-sourced it, and I guess you post the links. Um, uh, it's a project that does, as Nick mentioned, it's automated UI testing or acceptance testing or functional testing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and the idea is to use the same tool to test both iOS and Android applications. And that, that tool is called Cucumber. Um, and, and I don't know if how many iOS followers are, are familiar with Cucumber. It's, it's a tool that's come out of the Ruby community. Um, it's quite popular for doing uh, automated testing of, uh, of web applications. Um, but uh, we wanted to base uh, our, our automated testing system on Cucumber because it has this property that you write your test in a natural language. So, I mean, it's not completely natural, but it's at least, it's, uh, it's um, you know, it's like English sentences that describe what the user does. You know, then I touch this thing, and then when I do that, I should see the screen appear, and then I want to take a screenshot, stuff like this. And you can, uh, you can actually execute those tests, even though they're written in, in a natural language. And the cool part about that is that you can sit down if you're, for instance, I was in a bank, you can sit down with your banking expert and uh, you can agree that, you know, this, this test actually describes the use case that we're trying to implement. So you're, you're actually, you're getting confidence in that you're testing the right thing. So that was, that was pretty cool. And we decided to base it on that. By the way, I should say that uh, one of the unique things about Calabash is that we, we also support, you know, hybrid web apps, web apps that are native but contain web use. And there are, you know, many people are using uh, stuff like PhoneGap and 
these kinds of technologies to to save the cost on uh, on cross-platform development. Uh, we're definitely supporting that uh, that kind of use use case. So, um, so when you write a Calabash test, you write it in a natural language. That could be stuff like uh, let me get an example here. As um, I have a scenario which is like a use case. And then it could be stuff like when I touch add user button and I fill in the text fields as follows. The last name should be uh, Carl uh, Krukov. Sorry, that should just be Krukov actually. And the username should be Krukov and I touch save. Then I should go to the user screen and I should see a table containing Krukov. Well, that's the kind of language you use when you're writing these tests. And those tests are actually at the same time, you can read them as a use case, but you can also execute them using this Cucumber tool. So that's, that, that's quite nice. So that's the, uh, the cucumber side of it. Um, yeah, do you, do you have a question? John, let me have a quick question. You know, yeah. definitely on the, on the, in the Rails community, testing is, is so important that, that people yeah. at, a, at a Rails conference won't even talk to each other until they've established the use case and, and the, the testing <laughs> questions before they... Yeah. If I ask you your name, your name should be correct. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's, that's been really quite missing from the, the world of, of, of Mac development, I think. Have you yeah? Have you come up with a lot of resistance or people saying, "Oh, well, you know, testing is important only for for kind of a, at the API level and for service side things"? Or are you finding more people who are like, "No, I'm definitely finding more people that are getting interested in this." What I've experienced is that uh, when people start doing, uh, say, iOS development or app development in general, it's like they even though they have a background in server side development or and other. Times of uh, application development. It's like they go, okay, it's, we're starting from scratch. There are no rules. I can just do cowboy programming and I don't have to write any tests and we just go out there. And of course, quickly people realize that, you know, there are many, many benefits of having automated test suites. And, and they start to feel the pain <laughs> and then they, uh, they start to look at trying to automate this. It's, first, it's usually setting up unit tests and continuous integration servers and having your tests run all the time. Uh, and the next step for people is, is often to, to do functional testing or UI testing. And um, what I've experienced is that actually on iOS, it's, it's a bit of a pain to get that running. You know, having the, the CI server run and check out and build and executing the tests and getting uh, you know machine readable output from that that you can integrate in uh, in your Jenkins server and you can get uh, maybe code coverage and you can run your static analysis and all that stuff it takes some time for people to get that set up so I think that's one of the reasons that people are maybe not doing it too much but I think as, as Nick was saying I mean I think there's a lot of value for for uh, iOS and Android development in trying to automate these tests. Because certainly I've spent a great deal of time manually walking to the same screens, realizing the app crashes, rewriting the app, you know, going over and over again. And uh, it's, it's just takes, it takes too much time and it's boring, frankly, to do this manually. So, yeah, I think there's something happening. You know, the professionalism in this area is going to, to increase. And the practices we are seeing in, in other software development environments are, are moving into this area. Or maybe it's just in Denmark, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I kind of sense that as well. And I think there's, there's a couple of different aspects to it. One is, is that you're getting, there's, there's, there are definitely more people who have a, a kind of a, a set of practices coming from their, their other environments, which they then yeah. 
consider good and, and, and should be independent of, of language and, and, and API. But I think the other thing too is that there are if there are more projects that are maintained over the long term, Mm. Even if even if you accepted that cowboy programming is just the the best way to do it, which I don't think yeah. anybody does, it's not sustainable. You know, people no. won't be able to say, "Hey, I want to move on and off on projects." In which case, you have to you have to kind of satisfy the the what happens if the main developer gets run over by a bus exactly. quandary. Yeah, um, and, the, and you're the right, truck number, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, and, and I'm so I was interested in your opinion on on where you think this fits in in a project lifestyle life cycle because we we had you know a lot of discussion a couple episodes back about heat maps for example where you're trying to figure out is the is the UI discoverable in other words you know do we do, mm. just because somebody can tap here do they tap here I mean, do they they yeah. itch here do they zoom they do all those different things and and you're looking at it from the well we've already decided it is a good thing for people to do it let's just make sure that when they tap here they get the data that they're supposed to get do you yeah. do you when you work on a project though you're basically saying from the from the get go if you don't have functional test built into it you're you're failing what but but you've also said that you know we're going to make the tools simple enough that there's no penalty in doing. In other words, people exactly that that, that should be that's my point. I think that should be the point. Uh, regarding the question of test first, I would, I, I'm not you know I'm not uh, extreme in, uh, in in having an opinion that you should always write your test first and all that stuff. I think there's value in automated testing. There's definitely value, but there's also cost and. Because it, you know you have to develop the test suite, you have to set it up on the CI server, you have to maintain that CI server, have to maintain your test suites. So the point is that the cost of developing and running and maintaining those test suites should be so low that it's it's not an issue. I mean, you can write the test now if you want. It shouldn't be like we have to set off three weeks to write these tests. It should be so lightweight. So so in in that respect, I mean, I think that. <laughs> I think that you can do whatever you want. I mean, you can, you can, if you have a big, um, uh, how do you say, if you're not exactly certain what your application should be doing and what the UI looks like, you just write a very high level test that doesn't specify into great detail what the application should look like and where the button should be. And, you know, if, you, if you're not certain, then write a very high level test. If you're very certain that you're there, you can be more specific and you can have a test that will easily, most, more easily break break um, uh, but on the other hand they will also um, fix your your screen uh, in greater detail right because if it turns red it means that one of the details that you mentioned in the test is not working like that anymore so I don't know if that answers your question but my, my, my point here is that I think it's very important that these tools be very very lightweight you know uh, as Nick was saying before he thought that it was going to take him I don't know how long to to get this up and running, and and if that were the case, then he would probably not be here now, right? He wouldn't be using this tool. So I I'd think like that's important. Okay, I'd so like to add a quick comment to that because uh, because what's really striking for me is that I mean, writing in natural language your test, uh, writing and rewriting tests is so quick. I mean, if uh, I have before worked on projects where I, th I thought, well, I'll wait a bit with UI tests because I know the customer is going to change his mind and things are going to be placed differently. And then I'll just have to re rewrite these tests and it's going to take so long time. Here, it's just a matter of a couple of lines. Uh, uh, and, and that's what really has impressed me so much with this. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely for me. It's very important that a, a UI testing tool be very high level, and it should be robust against what I would call minor UI changes, whatever minor means. But it's stuff like moving a button a bit that doesn't break the app, and it's not something you want to test failing over. So it's it's very important that this tool be high level. I think that's 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 very important. Okay, so you've told us about Cucumber, and that's the underlying tool that yeah. you're you're using. But I mean, obviously. Yeah. Um, how does that okay but you've you've written this calabash framework so you know as a developer what am i what am i doing to i mean cucumber looks like a great tool but i'm an ios developer you know how does this lot fix together what do i do basically um well the, the way it works is that you can look at it at different levels okay so cucumber is the absolute highest level this is the tool where you write your test in this natural language it's all, you can almost have a, a non-technical person uh, writing these uh, writing these tests but there is you know that sounds a bit magic right what, what yeah, does it, it mean sounds, when I say, it sounds unbelievable basically <laughs> it is unbelievable <laughs> it's because it's uh, it's a lie <laughs> because it turns out that um when you write stuff like I go to the user screen, obviously that doesn't have any meaning. Uh, it can mean different things in different applications. So what you do is that you assign to each of these sentences, like going to the user screen, you assign a block of executable code. Uh, in this case, it's Ruby code, but it could be uh, it could be written in other programming languages as well. Um, so so and and that's in in some sense this is where the uh, the programming logic comes in. So you can write in a general purpose programming language like Ruby, uh, you can write um, sort of the implementation of these steps. So what does it mean to go to the user screen? Well, it means that I touch the user's tap bar button and I assert that I see a navigation, um, navigation bar with the title users, something like this. And you write this in ordinary programming language. General purpose, and also you have the full power of the, in this case, the Ruby programming language available to you. So you can do stuff like if you want to talk to a server as part of a, a test step, you can do that. Okay, so the, so so that underneath Cucumber there is a, a general API for uh, manipulating uh, for for Calabash iOS. It's for manipulating an iOS application. And there's a corresponding version for Calabash Android. Okay, so this API lets you do stuff like query into the user interface. Uh, I should see uh, UI buttons. I should see a tap bar button. I should see a table view. Uh, and inside that, I should <laughs> say I should see a table view cell. And inside that, there should be this particular text. You can write this stuff in uh, Ruby. And then you can take actions on this stuff, stuff like uh, touching, uh, swiping, or uh, you know, scrolling. There's different kinds of actions. And then the final thing is that you can do assertions. So when I do this, I query for a table view cell and I touch it, then I should see a navigation bar with this title here. So those are the three steps. And the final thing is that we can do screenshots. So given I do this, please take a screenshot of the application right now and save it to disk so I can uh, compare it. Because there are some things that are really hard to, um, to automate. Um, things like, um, you know, text being chopped off in a particular language. It's really hard to write an automated test that, that decides that. Uh, and visual things that people can easily pick up, but that, that's really hard to write a, a you know, machine-executable test that detects. Uh, you know, maybe it's a PND that doesn't look right or something like this. So, so complementing these things that are easy to check by a machine with the visual 
you know, visual power of the humans actually. Um, by using screenshots and comparing sc- screenshots across different devices, that's like the, the, the final ingredient in, in Calabash and and in this uh, device cloud service that I'll also talk about a bit. Okay, so let me make sure I understand this. Okay, um, <clears throat> yeah, because I'm I'm often a bit slow on the uptake with this sort of stuff. Cucumber is used to write tests in a natural English language. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, and then basically those tests are implemented uh, by somebody using Ruby. And they and, and they're imprinted by that Ruby code speaking to uh, the Calabash framework that you put inside your iOS app that that, that does things yes. for you. So basically, Cucumber writes a test. You write Ruby to interface with an iOS framework, the Calabash iOS framework, which you've put inside your app to make it all work. Yeah, that okay. well, I should have said that of course, but that, that there is some setup in a, with this. And you mentioned it now. What you do is that you you make a special target for your application, and for that target only, you link with this Calabash framework. And this is where the uh, the iOS logic that drives all this is running. So the stuff that looks into your views, that uh, synthesizes touch events, um, and uh, also generates the screenshots. That's actually Objective C code that's that's doing that. And yeah, yeah but, but you, you you got it you got it right though. I mean, <laughs> you you picked uh, it up. <laughs> just one thing, uh, because you you make it sound really complicated. I mean, what I'm oh, also sorry. very impressed by is that uh, actually with four lines of uh, of shell, which uh, which are like the first line is CD go to your project, uh, yeah. and the and the other ones you can just copy paste. You've got it set up for you. Also, what really impresses me is that so for this cucumber, you write this. Uh, uh, then I press the button called uh, help, um, my button or whatever. Uh, when you when you have these steps, there are so many predefined steps already. That getting started with this is so easy because there are so many predefined steps, and it's yeah. not, And when you get to using uh, writing your own steps in Ruby, it's not many lines of code actually. So so it's. It's not as complicated as it sounds. It's very, that's what no. really impressed me. It's so it's so easy to do. I'm sorry if I if I made it sound complicated. Uh, hey, you're an engineer who wrote it. It's got to sound complicated, otherwise yeah. I'm going to wonder what you've yeah, wasted, <laughs> wasted the last stupid, eight months on. No. <laughs> yeah, why well, spend so much time? No, um, what I've aimed at with with Calabash iOS, and it's the same for Calabash Android, uh, is that uh, you should be able to start without knowing Ruby. Uh, without having to do Xcode magic and special linker options, and you know, uh, I mean, most of us obviously are pretty <laughs> know Xcode pretty well, but there are also a lot of people that are not, you know, senior iOS programmers, and it'd be shame losing them because the, it's hard to link with the framework or set up the, the linker options or whatever. So it's really important for me that it you can start lightweight. You can actually start only by writing a test in natural language, and I think this is what Nick did. Uh, he started. Oh wow! I can actually automate this test, and I can uh, have most of my app test tested using steps that are predefined, so I don't have to give the Ruby definitions of the steps. And then when I need to do advanced stuff, I'm you know I'm already sufficiently interested that I would actually I don't mind writing a couple of lines of Ruby code, even though I don't actually know Ruby. It's it's so similar that you you can you can learn a bit of Ruby, and then you can start writing more advanced steps. And that's that's sort of the uh, the hope that I have that people can start lightweight, you know, learn a bit more, and then uh, do more advanced stuff. Um, and finally, you can you can uh, um, you can end up doing uh, 
some some fairly complicated things like uh, recording event sequences, you know, re- doing a touch event on a device, recording that, and then transforming that uh, that event sequence to do things like uh, drag from uh, this element to that element, or pan, uh, sorry, it's called pan, right? Pan from this element to that element, or swipe. Um, so you, the point here is that you can start lightweight. Okay, so I'm curious about this next thing that's on the list, device cloud, mm. because I'm, I'm wondering, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a wild stab at what it might be. <laughs> totally wrong. Go ahead. I'm just a mild-mannered developer, and you know, I, I'm not as successful as Scotty, so I don't have three of every device that's ever been made. Um, no. I, would like I don't even have one of every device that's ever been made. <laughs> okay. We're going to start a Python-esque <laughs> argument about who's poorer. Um, so, so how pick do I do me, that? Pick God, me! God forbid you're an Android developer and you have to try and do this. What, what could one possibly do to, to, to test uh, on different devices if you don't have them all? Yeah, thanks for, for the setup. <laughs> all right, so, um, yeah. So, Calabash is open source. It's free. Uh, you can uh, download it, you can contribute to it. You don't have to pay anything or anything. As an add-on to Calabash, and this is the business model for the less painful company, as an add-on to this, you can run these, once you've written the tests, develop them using the simulator, you can actually execute them on physical devices uh, using this device cloud, which is a, it's a web service. You can go to the website or you can uh, use the command line to submit your tests. And it will take all the tests that you've written and execute them on different um, iOS devices, or if you're running an Android project, you can run on Android devices. And there's no truth to the rumor that the people that are doing the test are the people who have just assembled such a device at Foxconn before they put it in the box? <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I completely missed that question. <laughs> there's no truth to the rumor that the physical devices that are being tested on and the human beings that are performing the test on the physical devices oh. are employees at Foxconn who are doing no. these tests just before, <laughs> uh, you know, just before it gets put in the box and sent to Scotty. No. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> okay no, so, really. It, it, yeah, so it's, it's the, we have a system for automating all this stuff. So, um, you write your test, you submit into the cloud, it will automatically install your application on our devices and uh, execute the tests and generate uh, visual test reports, which let you compare uh, what your application looks like on different devices. So you can insert the screenshot at different points in your test, and, and then you get this test report, which compares your um, you know, what that looks like on the different devices uh, and possibly on different languages as well. That's and, utterly fascinating, but... So, I mean, you really do literally have kind of physical devices. Yeah. Do you have, did you design your own racks? I mean, are there pictures somewhere of, of, of what this I, looks I like? I can show you. Uh, I, if you if you can post some links, otherwise I can Definitely. show you both some some uh, some very nice pictures where we have um, Jonas, my uh, partner. He's built a wall of devices, uh, and he's very neatly arranged those devices uh, connected to a Mac Mini uh, with a very, very uh, large number of uh, USB hubs. Um, so I think we have about 30 devices connected to uh, one Mac Mini, and we're putting up more. Um, and and they are actually there. I mean, it, it looks really really cool. We have a video uh, that that shows um, the devices uh, running tests, and even stuff like rotation is actually physical 
uh, stuff that's running. So, so we have a little robot, a little uh, servo engine that will, that will actually rotate the device, given that you write in your test that now the device should rotate. So it, it's all automated and, and actually running physically. It's, it's not even jailbroken devices. Do you have to kind of put all the devices there to be rotated in one rack and then you rotate the room containing the rack? Or can you <laughs> yeah, rotate of course. <laughs> No, it's, yeah, it's all it's all connected. Each individual device can rotate independently of, of the others, and um, um, it looks it looks very cool when you see it on video. That's we'll we'll post links to that video, said. and we'll post links to those pictures if uh, if you can give them to us. Sure. So that was that was a bit about the service, um, and and that's sort of the, the business model of this company is that we we do this service. Um, I should say that we're working on. Uh, you know the economic side of it. How much should this cost? This is very much a startup, and you're still thinking about what is it? What does it cost to execute tests on, uh, on the cloud? So, uh, but it, I think we'll very soon we'll we, we'll have a very good model for uh, for charging on this. Um, but also we we do stuff like uh, help people set up their uh, continuous environment and do training for uh, if you want to learn about using this technology. Uh, or automated testing in general, actually. And we also have some packages where we get people started by uh, actually writing tests using their application. So we have this uh, new concept where we, we, um, we spend five, six hours. We take an initial meeting, we spend five, six hours developing tests, and then you get a test report by the end of the day. So you can really get instant feedback using this. So a lot of different things happening here using the service. Totally cool. Cool. Um, and what, wait, one more little uh, detail thing. So, then what about things like uh, the, the, the signing certificates and all that kind of stuff? Is, is that yeah, a bit of a pain? Yeah, people always ask this. <laughs> and uh, well, you can actually re-sign an app, right? So, what we just do is when you submit your app, we just re-sign it uh, using our uh, profiles, and uh, and we just install them, and that's it. <laughs> so it's not uh, it's actually not complicated. Oh, really? I didn't um, know. That. I didn't know, but you can re-sign it even even without recompiling it. I did not know. Yeah, that. yeah, you can strip out the signature, and you can uh, put in a new one and install it. It's ah. very cool. Um, but actually, now that we have enterprise uh, certificates, I'm thinking about actually just uh, buying one of those and then re-signing using that because. It makes things a bit simpler. But anyway, yeah, you can do it. You can automate all this. I mean, it takes, that's part of what I spend all this time on is, is actually the, the, you know, automating all this on physical, non-jailbroken devices um, and having it run stably. Because that's, that's quite hard, but, uh, but it's, not, it's not running. All right, but I should say also that Calabash, you can, you can run... I mean, if you have a, a physical device you want to test on, you can connect it to your computer, your Mac, when you're developing and, and run the tests on your device. Uh, you don't have to use simulator. Uh, Calabash supports that, so the free version of Calabash supports that. So some people, I mean, the iOS simulator is pretty good, uh, but some people still need and want to test on physical devices automatedly as well. And you can do this with Calabash. It's, it's fairly simple. You connect your device to Wi-Fi and then the... Uh, the Calabash um, test logic uh, talks to your device using HTTP. So Calabash actually embeds an HTTP server in your app that it talks to. Mm, that was your answer to my question. Yeah. I mean, so, th this stuff sounds really cool, and the fact that you can... Um, sorry, I should sit in front of the mic when I want to speak, shouldn't I? Uh, this stuff, it, it sounds really cool, and... Um, uh, 
yeah, I think, but that, the idea of being able to get it tested on all those devices, because that's always a big issue for my developers. You know, to UI test on, yeah. on, on every device and whatever else could take forever. So spending, uh, you know, I've just been looking at, um, your pricing page and everything like that. It all seems, you know, reasonably priced and everything. I believe people to go and work it out for themselves. Um, mm. and we'll put, we'll put links to everything like in the show notes just to, um, so I mean, I'm guessing you know, you're, you're testing it and saying this should now say this and this should now say that, and you know you can just put it as you said to make a screenshot, and if they put the stuff through, they just get back all the screenshots with an idea of which device that came from. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. I mean, we can I can make a, a public test report. I mean, I can make one of our test reports public, so you can post a link to it, so people can see what I'm talking about. It's a bit, it's actually talking about Calabash is a bit hard, but showing it is very easy. So I, I really want to show you a couple of links afterwards. Um, but yeah, the, you you got the point uh, exactly. I just want to say one thing because there was a guy in the chat room that was asking about uh, accessibility labels, and yeah, as Nick was saying, uh, we we can use accessibility labels because they have this property that it, it gives a very easy way of uh, finding UI elements, um, you know, inside of you uh, because you, you just find it using the accessibility label. But there's actually nothing in Calabash that requires that you use accessibility labels. It just it just makes your test more robust and more high level. So just to answer that question in the RSC chat room. I think um, uh, you know, one of the things that excites me most about uh, this last couple of years is um, you know, people like yourself, um, and we've spoken about this a few times over the last uh, um, couple of months. Sometimes commercially, sometimes you know, just is open source and whatever else. Are really beginning to invest in the development process and make the lives of developers you know broader and make our yeah. tool sets bigger. We're no longer just dependent on Xcode. It, you know, is you know as good or bad as the current release of that may or not be. You know, as mm. you know, whereas you know a, a number of years ago, you know. <laughs> If you wrote a developer tool, you know, and it was of any use at all, everybody would know about you because you were one of two. <laughs> you know, whereas, you know our, comu- yeah. our community is now getting out there and growing. And the fact that, you know, uh, we can seriously say, you know, we have decent UI testing. We have decent, you know, this testing. We can do this to our apps and whatever through uh, these tools coming out is, is a great sign that, um, uh, you know, the, the the market in which we're working, the tools which we're developing with, is growing in a vibrant community, and that's what's just as exciting as about the tools. And and just hearing about this stuff, and um, you know, the time you're investing in it, and the fact that you even believe, your fact that there's enough developers now that you can create a a model where you will do the testing for people, and that's the way you're going to finance it, is just very positive for us. I think. Yeah, I agree very much, and I think that um, that the 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 iOS community has been. Uh, you know, cross-pollinated with uh, ideas that are coming from communities like uh, Ruby and Rails, where things are very lightweight. They have a very uh, getting stuff running is, uh, is is lightweight, and you have package management systems. Um, one project I came by recently, which looks very cool, is Cocoa Pots. Have you seen this? Cocoa Pots, uh, and this is uh, sort of in the same spirit that um, getting things set up should be lightweight. Uh, it's a it, Cocoa Pots, I should say, is a, a project for managing your dependencies in an Xcode project. Um, so getting uh, dependencies, getting Xcode configuration, um, doing uh, unit testing, getting a CI environment up and running, doing automated functional testing, 
all these things. If that's going to take you a month to set up, then it's not going to happen, right? It has to be easy and has to be fast and it has to be good as well. And it has to be simple as well. And I think this is happening right now in, in the community. And I'm just as you're saying, I'm very excited about this. And one of the things I actually spent some time on with, with Calabash iOS is having an easy setup. Um, so I've actually written a small, uh, it's written in Ruby. It's a small program which will look at your Xcode project file and modify it to, uh, to, to create, uh, um, to, to add your, this Calabash framework to your list of frameworks and link also with the CF network if you're not doing that. And also, uh, change your linker options for uh, not not for your production target, but for for your test target. So making that simple for for many people, I think that's that's something that we should all be doing. I should say though that this setup tool is still experimental. <laughs> so I've had some uh, projects where uh, where it doesn't work, and then there's a you know a classical manual description for how to get this working with S with Xcode and you know screenshots and all this. But thinking in Automating also install is something I think we should all be doing, and I think we should be looking at projects that can help us all do this. Another project I'd like to mention that I came by for iOS is called uh, I think it's it's called Xcode Editor um, by a guy called Jasper Blues. Um, so you can find that on just Google for Xcode Editor and GitHub. You'll find that, and that's actually an Objective C uh, API for uh, manipulating Xcode files. And I think we should all just spend, you know, for as a developer of one of these projects, spend three days to uh, make life easier for everyone. And Calabash wants to do this. Yeah, that was just my personal little <laughs> thing of making so life easier for everyone. <laughs> my my last thing. So, would would you not say then that this is the kind of stuff that's actually missing from Apple's offerings? I mean, didn't the the yeah. testing framework get essentially bolted into to, to Xcode, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there are a lot of things we haven't actually talked about. Um, it's a bit sort of improvised, the stuff. But, you know, there are other options. Calabash isn't the only automated uh, UI testing tool out there for, for iOS. It's actually one of the, I think it's the only uh, tool for Android that uses Cucumber. But, you know, there are different options for, uh, uh, for iOS. Uh, and, of course, you all know uh, UI automation that Apple provides. And I think this is, I guess, this is the point you are making that it just does not make life easy for a developer or the uh, the QA, yeah. QA person. It's, well, I mean, it's terrible. I've never seen something as terrible as that. that uh, that's first, why I have Scott Forstall on the other line. He wants yeah. to uh -oh. <laughs> work at Apple and bring your stuff. <laughs> How much? No, I mean, uh, it does. It actually does some quite cool things that are hard to do, and it has the property that you don't have to create a special target. It just runs out of the box from Xcode, and it's supported by Apple, so that's good. But the development experience is, is not good enough. Um, I mean, just starting a test is something you, you do using the logger, and error messages are just plain terrible. And you have to restart your app every time you're writing a test step. So it was actually the first technology I looked into, but I, I, I quickly moved on. And of course, there's, there's Frank that, that I mentioned. And, and Calabash is, you know, it's a, it's a, a copy of Frank. Uh, but where we've improved some of the things that are very important for us, Atlas Painful, you know, being able to run on physical, non-jailbroken non devices and automate all that, being able to synthesize very complex touch, even multi-touch events, um, that was very important, and Frank didn't support this. Um, so so I, I basically I took Frank and extended that to, to do this stuff. Um, 
and automated also some of the features there. And I'm actually in in, in contact with with Pete that's doing Frank to maybe have a uh, a merge of the two projects. We'll see. And some someone in the chat room also mentioned Kif, which I think is is, is also quite nice. It doesn't support these uh, complex touch events that I was talking about. If you need to do multi-touch or swipes or uh, pans, that at least if you're doing iPad, uh, but also uh, many many iOS applications, of course, need these gestures, um, and it just doesn't support it. Um, the advantage, you might say, if you're a, an iOS developer, is that you write the test in, in uh, Objective-C. But that's, to me, that's actually not an advantage. Um, I prefer having this high-level Cucumber tool uh, that I can sit down with a business consultant and, and write my test and have him make sure the test is actually doing the right thing. And Ruby is actually, uh, in some senses, it's, it's quite close to Objective-C. Uh, not syntactically, but it's... It's a very dynamic, object-oriented language, just like Objective C. So it's easy. I think it's actually quite an easy transition. It's easy to learn if you already know Objective C. Oh, I talked a lot there. Just hey. a quick comment there, if I could, uh, because uh, one of the things as a user that I found really cool is that, uh, like I said at the presentation, I don't know Ruby at all. This has actually been the first time I've had to use Ruby. Uh, and I've also looked at KIF, and of course, there you compile your tests. Whereas here, you could use uh, an interactive shell. You've got the IRB underscore iOS 5 shell script that you get to start up an interactive shell. And uh, then you can just go around there, query your interface, uh, get, get all the uh, parts you need to define your steps. Uh, so it's very easy and interactive to, to define them, which makes uh, at least for me, that, uh, um, I don't know Ruby at all. Uh, it makes that experience really, really good. Yeah, and the, the interactive thing is actually, it's bigger than you think. I mean, uh, if you're not used to it, then you think, all right, so you can pull up a shell or whatever. But it's it's really big. Once you get, once you see the power of, of the interactive development experience, it really, um, that should be much more productive. And it's hard to explain this in words, but I think I'm going to make a screencast very soon where I actually demonstrate developing a test uh, in an interactive manner, and so, so you can sort of see it for yourselves. But, but thanks for mentioning it, Nick, because it's, it's one of the things that are important to me, and it, it relates to this being lightweight and being, um, being quick to develop tests. Well, I think that's been... Yeah, really interesting. In an audio podcast, you know, we all we can do is give overviews, uh, give a little bit of behind the scenes on the technology, and encourage people to go and look. I mean, we can't go any deeper. Like I said you start needing to use video or live demos or whatever to do that. So, yeah. um, Carl, I think you know you've done a great job of explaining to us. I'm definitely going to go and have a look at it and play with it. I'm sure many of our, our listeners too. Cool. Um, so, you know, that's been um, you know. That's been, that's been really great. Uh, let's just wrap this up by, you know, um, can, can any websites. Say, yeah, say whatever you like. So, Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that I'm going to be in London, uh, actually on Wednesday, on the 4th, uh, giving a talk about this, giving a talk and giving a live demo about uh, iOS and Android at, at the QCUP conference, sorry, the QCUP conference, which is actually a, a, a Cucumber conference. Um but if anyone's in London and want to meet up, I'd be very happy to have a talk and we can look at your app and maybe write a little test or talk or whatever. I just wanted to mention that. I mean, I guess you're in London, right? Yeah, I'm about 100 miles from London. It's all right. It's a common oh, mistake. Right. Everyone thinks everyone in England lives in London. Yeah. There is no other London's town. Like- there, there is no other town in England. <laughs> England is just London. That's it. Outside yeah. of that, yeah, we're just Mongols who can't speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
That's what people in London think, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Carl, tell us where people can find um, uh, your blog and your company and you on Twitter and and all that sort of stuff, because I'm sure there are many people who are going to want to sort of hassle you over this now. So uh, go to blog.lesspainful.com and you can read a bit about Calabash iOS and Calabash Android, and we'll be writing soon a bit about our support for uh, these hybrid apps uh, like PhoneGap apps and, and apps that are using web views. Um, we'll write about that and we'll keep it live. And also Twitter, check out Less Painful and check out Carl Kruko, which is which my, my Twitter nickname. Um, and if you want to hashtag uh, for Calabash, then use just Calabash or Calabash iOS or Calabash Android. I think that's the... Uh, that's it for uh, excellent. And of course, you will you post the you'll post the links for to the GitHub projects for. Uh, we'll post all the links Calabash. you've spoken about in Calabash and Cucumber and um, the other tools you've mentioned. They'll all be in the show notes for uh, for this episode. Um, Nick, thank you very much for introducing us to Carl and bringing it to um, so many people's attention at NS Conference. Um, just tell people where they can uh, follow you and any blogs and in whatever all the normal stuff. Right. Uh, so my Twitter hell is uh, at N-I-K-L-A-S-S-A-E-R-S. <laughs> That's probably easier just grabbing it from the show notes. And at uh, blog.saers.com, I've actually posted all uh, the, so the notes from uh, the presentation at NSConf and uh, all the steps that I've defined myself. So you can uh, use them, copy them, uh, use them in your projects. Also, just a quick plug, uh, like I said, I'm trying to get in contact with uh, iOS developers in the Espier area. So we've actually started an NS Coder night uh, here in Espier. We're about eight people showing up. So if you'd like to join, uh, Google for NS Coder nights, Espier, and uh, come join us. Uh, Mr. Fox, excellent questions, excellent links as ever. You know, how would this show survive without you? Let, let, let the world out there, your adoring public, know more about you. Uh, well, you can find out all about my product, Memory Miner, at memoryminer.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter as Jembe, D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. Um, and I would like to announce that I'm founding a new company as of three seconds uh, ago called More Helpful. <laughs> <laughs> which espouses counter programming and utter lack of testing and excessive oh. <laughs> the secrets to successful software development. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and you will be a very successful, I am sure. <laughs> My name is Scotty. You can follow me on Twitter as at Mac. DevNet. Um, I run iDeveloper TV, where you can go and have a look at our uh, training videos uh, for Mac and iOS developers. Uh, this has been iDeveloper Live, episode 48. I want to say thank you to the chat room. There's been some uh, good questions coming from there today and some a little bit of good banter. Simon Wolf, he turned up late, but let's say hello. I know how much he hates that. That's why we keep doing it. So, everybody... <laughs> <laughs> if he loved it I wouldn't bother doing it anymore um, that's been episode 48 I hope you've enjoyed it I've really enjoyed this episode so until next time you all take care <laughs>